Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. You recall that 2 Peter chapter 2 begins by talking about the marks of false teachers. It's anchored to the fact that in the Old Testament, when the prophetic word of God was being delivered through the prophets, that even then there were false prophets that arose among them. And he says there, even in Peter's day, that same thing would happen. And the the generation after him all the way to us, that will always be a common practice of the enemy. That's something we should always keep in the back of our minds, that when we are immersing ourselves in truth, it is Satan's desire to seduce our minds into believing that which is false. And so in verse 2, there's a shift in focus a little bit away from what characterizes those false teachers alone, and it begins to talk about the effect false teaching can have on a person's life. And so I want us to look at three specific things about the effect of false teaching. First of all, the passage tells us many will be misguided and manipulated. In verse 2, that's how it begins. And many will follow their destructive ways. Many will follow them. Haven't you thought before as a believer... If, if people just knew the truth of God's Word, they would have to accept it and believe it. It makes perfect sense. Well, it only makes perfect sense to those who belong to Christ. The Scripture tells us that spiritual truth has to be spiritually discerned. And people apart from Christ have their eyes blinded and their hearts hardened by the enemy. And so when we hear things in the media or we hear uh, off-the-cuff statements, well, Christians are the problem. Uh, it's that Bible stuff that creates all the issues. That, that's backwards to reality. The reality is that we are the salt of the earth and lie of the world. We are the only hope for the nation. It's God's words, the only guide by which we can follow. It's not a political platform that will get us to where we need to be for the blessing of God to come. It's the very word of God. And the very thing that is rejected by so many is the thing they are most desperate for but don't realize it. And so it says many will be misguided and manipulated by false teaching. It's as if the The taking is there for anyone who will deceive because people are very gullible when it comes to believing that which is false. There's a philosophy that I believe happens locally, statewide, nationally, and globally with those who put forth false doctrine and teaching, and that is if you say it long enough and loud enough, People will believe it as if it is true. Then others would say, and if enough people buy into it, 
Who could argue against those numbers? I've heard people say about some of the false teachings south of us uh, that think they're in their best life now, which if you're in your best life now, that means you're not looking forward to heaven. And so, but they've said numbers, that many people couldn't be wrong. Well, if you read history, uh, multitudes have been wrong. They've followed false leaders. They've followed false teachers. They've, they've bought into the lies of the enemy. And so many will be misguided and manipulated by their teaching. It means there'll be a magnitude of people. There'll be a, a large following. And many people are just caught up with the crowd. They, they go where the crowd is gathering. And their teaching will be irresistible to those who are ignorant of the truth of God's Word. So we don't want to be ignorant. They can sound so much like truth. But we don't want to be ignorant of the truth, and so we must fill our minds with the Word of God, or this affects us, doesn't it? We can get caught up in the crowd. We can get moved by our emotions. And we can be part of that many who will follow. Because false teaching has a way of gripping those who are gullible. It has a way of victimizing those who are vulnerable. And and pulling them in. And captivating their attention and then somehow capturing their heart. Here's what many false teachers do. They, they lead with love. They lead with what people perceive as love. They, they accept people. They, they build them up. They uh, say what they want to hear. They, they draw them in, and, and they feel so love, they, they fail to see that it's just self-love out of control in their lives. And that's a part of the crowd that follows false teaching. And so it says they will be marked by destructive ways. Many will follow their destructive ways. Now, if I were to ask you this morning... How many of you would like to destroy your life? How many of you have the goal to destroy your family? How many of you would like to see our nation destroyed? Well, anyone with common sense would say, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want our nation destroyed. I don't want my home and my family destroyed. I, I don't want my life destroyed. Nobody goes after that goal to participate in destructive ways. But many times, that's exactly what they do without even knowing it. They are, are lured in and so thirsty and hungry for that which is pleasing and appeasing to them that it causes them to self-destruct, and it is a domino effect, and we're seeing that in our nation. Destructive ways lead to disillusioned followers. 
And so it offers something, but it's very, very empty. So the passage begins, many will follow their destructive ways. Many will be misguided and manipulated by false teaching. The second effect builds on that. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Truth will be twisted and trampled. That's the second thing in the passage. Truth will be twisted and trampled in order for them to get to their goal. Now, many times, they, even the false teacher doesn't set out to deceive. Many times, the false teacher begins with pure motives of, of helping people. But when that overcomes them, rather than a desire to please God and a desire to bring glory to Him and to point people to Jesus, it gets all out of control, and, and they begin to twist the truth, and they begin to tell a tale not accurate, and they begin to just trample all over the truth to gather the prey of those whom they teach. And it says, because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now this hits close to home. Anytime someone is claiming to be religious in our culture but doesn't live a moral life or a godly life, that brings into question the whole thing of what they believe, doesn't it? So before we point the, picture, the finger at the, the false teachers, we have to look close at ourselves. Am I living an upright, godly life empowered by the Holy Spirit, representing Christ being conformed to his image and pointing people to him. That's the goal of what Scripture teaches. The problem is these false teachers claim to be proclaiming Christ. It twists and tramples the Scripture to where this false teaching begins to lead to false living, to where even the people that are a part of it become disillusioned. Others around them become disillusioned, and they say, well, if he was so spiritual and he had nothing at all different about him, then why would I want what they have? And the reality is, they shouldn't want what that person had following false teachers. However, it has hardened them to the truth because they've seen the truth twisted and trampled. And so the great problem here is this irreverence to the truth brings shame to the name of Jesus. I want you to look with me at two passages in John. John chapter 8, first of all. John chapter 8. Here Jesus is talking to some very religious people. They are uh, religious leaders, people committed to uh, Judaism. They are not recognizing him to be the Messiah. And so they are questioning everything that he's teaching. And in this context, he talks about the truth. 
So in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to those Jews who, were, who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, what was his word? His teaching. What was his teaching? Doctrine. Embracing the doctrine of Christ makes you a disciple of Christ. You can't be a disciple of Christ without embracing his doctrine and his teaching. So some people say, well, I, I love Jesus, but I, I don't care much for the Bible. Well, the, the Bible is the revelation of who Jesus is. You, you don't get to make Jesus what you want him to be. You can't separate him from his teaching. It is his doctrine that reflects his deity. It is his doctrine that builds disciples around him. And so that's what he says in verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word or my doctrine, you will be my disciples indeed. And then he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, have you ever heard the last part of that verse ripped out of context and misused? Is it true that it's better to always tell the truth? Yes, it is. But this passage is not talking just about telling the truth. It's talking about the truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that there is no way to separate the, the truest sense of the truth from the person of Christ. And so here, it's not offering just some flippant guide to always tell the truth, the truth will set you free. It is preceded by, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What is his word? His word is the truth, and you shall know the truth, and the truth coming from Jesus will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Now, what did Jesus say would set you free in verse 32? The truth. What does he say in verse 36 will set you free? The Son. Inseparable. Jesus is the truth. The truth is Jesus. It's the truth of God's Word coming from His Son... And those who magnify his son that will set you free. And if you are set free like that, you are free indeed. So some of us have been in the prison to support Greg in his prison ministry. There are people inside the walls of a prison more free than people outside those walls. Why? Because they have embraced the truth in Jesus. 
and they know the truth, and they've committed their lives to Christ, and, and they have come to submit themselves to Christ. And in that submission to Christ, they have been set free by the truth. And if the truth sets them free, they're free indeed. And if the Son sets them free, they are free indeed. And so there are people out in what we would call the free world who are in more bondage and more enslaved by sin than those who are incarcerated, who have come to know Christ. And that's what it means to be free indeed. There are people in society and nations around the world that are hostile to the gospel. They are so hostile to the gospel, it could cost them their lives for worshiping Christ. And people would say they're not free to worship. Oh, they're freer than free. The Son has set them free, therefore they are free Indeed, in the truest sense of the word. And so when it talks about them twisting and trampling the truth in Second Peter chapter 2, one of the things that happens is they twist and they trample all over the person of Christ through whom the ultimate truth is revealed. And so we talked about last week how you, you can clearly see where someone really is coming from by the way that they talk about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So another passage about truth is found in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is a passage perhaps that you've heard uh, utilized at funerals. I, I love to read this or quote this at the graveside of a saint. Jesus is talking to his disciples, beginning a lengthy teaching the night before he would be crucified. So in verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Verse 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. John 14, 6, he says, I am the truth. So if anyone begins to pull you away from Jesus to show you the truth, they are taking you toward destructive ways because Jesus alone is the essence and the epitome of truth. And so when they twist the truth, it always is a twisting of the character and the nature and the teaching of Jesus. Because ultimately, false teaching misrepresents the Messiah and his message. So if you come back to the passage we're looking at today in 2 Peter 2, notice how the Words truth 
and way are connected there. And many will follow their destructive ways. You remember Jesus said something very similar. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be who find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be who find that. He was saying those destructive ways are very appealing. The way to destruction is very appealing. And then notice how the past is gone. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed or made irreverent. Here's another way the way of truth is blasphemed. People would say, well, I believe all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter what you call God. Uh, just so you have a higher power. Just so you have some kind of morality. As long as your good outweighs your bad, then, then you're going to make it. All roads lead to heaven. That's not true, is it? If I get on 19 and I go north, that road will not take me to Houston. If you get on any other way but Jesus, all those roads do lead somewhere and they lead to hell. There is one road that leads to heaven and Jesus is the way. And so one way the way is blasphemed is by them saying, well, it's just like any other way. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and Peter reiterates here, that the way other than Jesus is always a destructive way. And it always twists and tramples the truth. And then finally, false teaching, when it is done, will lead to a greed that will be glorified and justified. Now, perhaps this is the most obvious point of the day. By covetousness or greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They will deceive you and exploit you with deceptive words. What does it say motivates a false teacher, greed or covetousness? They want what you have. They typically pick on those who are most visible, but here are some things I've heard some false teachers say that are very prominent. One man whose last name uh, sounds like currency that you would spend. I'm not going to call names. His last name sounds like currency you would spend. I, I've heard him spend like 30 to 45 minutes trying to prove that Jesus was rich when he was on the earth. Well, what, what has he done? He's twisted the truth, hasn't he? Jesus said foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He 
wandered from place to place under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He, he had no means of travel, no source of income, etc. But there's that, that twisting of who Jesus is and what he did. And then you'll hear what we would call the uh, prosperity gospel preached. Who do they always use as an example that this gospel that they preach will work? Themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Hopefully you don't watch enough of it to notice it. They'll say, if, if you'll give me, then God will give back to you. Well, the Scripture says that when you give to God, God himself will bless you back. So if someone dares to say, if you'll give to me, then God will bless you, where are they placing themselves? In the place of God. And they're saying, you know, before I had great faith, I didn't have all my cars, and I didn't have five homes and mansions. I didn't have this airplane to go preach around the world. But when I began to put my faith and trust in my faith and trust, and the word trust can have a variety of meanings when they say it because false prophets misspell the word prophet and they profit from those that they prey upon but they'll use themselves as an example of how this theology works well it's working for them because they are greedy and expressing that greed upon the gullible aren't they and so it hasn't changed when a person begins to get to the forefront, when a person gets in the spotlight and they begin to have some sort of fame or some sort of pull with people, one of the greatest temptations is to be tempted toward pride. Uh, to be tempted to put the focus on ourselves or to, to get something out of what we're giving to others. What a tragedy that can be in people's lives. So the motive of these false teachers is, at the very heart, greed and lust and desire. That lust and desire can take all shapes and forms for things, for people, for possessions, for popularity, for positions. They are experts in greed, one commentator said. So at the very heart, people that are false teachers love things and they use people. When in reality, we're to love people and use things. These deceptive words. We talked about the destructive ways, the deceptive words. Many times it's what the scripture says, just like the truth shall set you free. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes, that's what the Bible says. But in context, it says something much different than just the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth as it's revealed in Jesus, and that truth will set you free. You see, that's why it's, it's dangerous to just look at a verse and pull it out of context. There was a guy that decided to 
read his Bible, he would just flop it open, put his finger there, and, and just read that and trust that that would be what he need to read that day. And so he opened his Bible, he put his finger there in the, one of the Gospels, and it said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, he thought, well, that's not going to be a good thing today. That wasn't on my to-do list. So I'll, I'll flip back over and see if I can get something else. So he, he, he flipped it back over, and he landed at the Good Samaritan parable, and he put his finger there, and it said, go and do thou likewise. Well, that really got him confused, didn't it? You can pull anything out of the Bible and, and make it say something it doesn't say. And, and that's why it's important for you to check the passages that I preach from. That's, that's why I preach with an open Bible before me. And I hope that you listen with an open Bible before you so that we can look at the Scripture and know that what the Word of God is actually saying is, is there. And we are receiving not my opinion, not your desire but what God's word says because anytime I begin to preach what I want to say so that you'll want to hear it that could lead quickly to false teaching and so this false teaching feeds the flesh it caters to that which is carnal or of the world greed will be glorified and justified in college A group of us preacher boys decided we'd drive the 45 miles to Lubbock from Plainview, Texas. And here, a very popular false teacher. We're actually hearing the son, who was a very popular false teacher, who followed in the footsteps of his dad. We went there because if you're studying for the ministry, you you have this theology detector going on a lot. You know, you want to be able to discern and know these things, so we went. He spoke, I won't call it preaching, because it was uh, filled with faulty statements and misrepresented scriptures. But he got to the end, and he was taking the offering. He was fleecing the flock so to speak. And this is what he did. I'll never forget. People all around us were writing checks. Now, if you're under 30, you might need to ask people what a check is. But they were writing checks. And he said, some of you have not exercised enough faith. Your seed's not big enough. And so he, he had written a check himself for $500, he told us. And he said, and, and I'm going to make my seed bigger. So he tore his check up, and he said, you tear your checks up and plant a bigger seed. Because you, you have a need, and this seed will meet your need. So then he wrote, he said, a check for $1,000. And, and there was like a gasp among some of these frenzied followers out there. And, and they began to tear their checks up, and they began to write bigger checks, I guess. And I thought, do you not see what just happened? 
He's taking the $1,000 check out of his left pocket and he's putting it in his right pocket. He's not planting a seed. He's not giving to God. He's giving to himself. And he's using that to get you to give more to him so that somehow this God of his imagination will give you back money. Well, I'm here to tell you that one of the cheapest blessings a person can experience is a financial blessing in their life. Why would I say that? There are some things that are beyond money. There are some things money can't buy. I'm not downplaying how God meets our needs and how he's timely in his provision. I'm not saying he can't do that and he won't do that. But I'm saying God is not an investment plan. He's not one that you give so that you can give back. You give because he's already given to you. He's already given you the greatest gift he could ever give you. So I'm, I'm not saying that financial blessing is not good. It is great. But there are greater blessings like eternal life. Because we can't take anything with us. There are are blessings like an inner peace in the midst of national turmoil right now. You can't buy that. You can't purchase that. You can't earn that. So I'm not saying that God can't bless us financially. I I know he has in my life and in in many of your lives. and, And that's wonderful. But don't rest in that and say, okay, that's the way God's always going to bless me. Sometimes God blesses us in even richer ways. And so as we've talked about false teaching, it would be easy for us to say, well, I'm not one of the many that are misguided and manipulated. I'm not one that buys into those who twist and trample the truth. And, and I, I don't allow greed to be glorified and justified in my life. So how do we bring this home to us? Let me ask you a question. And I'm asking myself the same question. Read the Bible. Are you self-centered or God-centered? Are you reading the Word of God to see what it says about you? Or are you reading what it says about Him? Because you are nothing apart from your relationship to him. And the best way to know who you are is to learn who he is because you are his child. But it's so easy for me and and possibly for you to come to the scripture looking for a tranquilizer or something to help me or to to guide me. And that's not bad, but it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal when I come to this word is to get to know more about God and to get to know God better through his word. What a trap it would be to be self-centered rather than God-centered when I read the book about him, which is completely Christ-centered and focuses on him. Or when you listen to a sermon, do you simply desire to feed your flesh? On Wednesday night in Team Kid, we were studying where they were going to take Jesus and throw him off the cliff. And so I said the crowd took him, 
and had him ready to throw him off the cliff. And this little boy jumped out of his chair and ran over to me and, and got eye level with me because I was sitting on a little chair. And he said, no, 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 just the good stuff. We don't want to hear the bad stuff, just the good stuff. And went running back to his chair. And I said, it's going to get better. And I said, so they had him right there at the cliff. And he came, no, 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 no. Just the good stuff. We don't want to hear the bad stuff. And I, I put my arm around him. I said, buddy, you're not the first person to ask me to do that. So he went. I said, you sit down. He gets to the good stuff. And so I, I started telling him about it, the group about it. And I said, and then Jesus, being who he was, just turned and walked through the crowd. And he said, he didn't use a superpower, and he didn't zap him. And I said, no, 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 no. It's bigger than that. He just walked through them. Jesus didn't need superpowers. He is God. But I'll never forget that. Because I've had adults say, we need one of those feel-good sermons. Well, you can get those for a dime a dozen. It'll cost you in the long run you sell out to those feel-good sermons. You listen to a sermon, are you simply desiring to feed your flesh? When I preach a sermon, am I simply performing? Am I trying to impress you or trying to please you? That's the question I have to ask myself. Or do you come to the Word of God, whether you're reading it or hearing it preached or whether I'm preaching it, seeking to allow the Spirit of God to feed your spirit? See, your greatest need is to have a strong inner man in the spirit of your being to be fed there. When your spirit is strong, your discernment is strong, and you know the truth, and the truth as it is revealed in Jesus will set you free from destructive ways and desperate deceptive words. Let's pray together. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.